Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we will spend a lot of time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll focus on verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16, reads as this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is the word of the Lord. So please bow as we pray. Father God, as we come this morning to your word, I pray that you would, um, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to speak and to, con- to convict. Lord, I pray you would give clarity of thought and clarity of, um, of wisdom, Lord, from you. My God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your message, uh, Lord, to, to bask in your truths, um, to trust you more, Lord, to desire to know you more. My God, I pray that you'd be glorified in our time in your word today. Lord, in your holy and righteous name we pray, amen. Thank you, Ricky. Lessons learned from last week, right? <laughs> so, and I realized last week was um, a little bit of a heavy week, and um, praise God for his goodness and for his strength. Um, he's, been, uh, he's been encouraging and challenging me a lot um, recently, and I am incredibly encouraged by you as a church. If, you know, if Paul were to write a, a letter to this church today, what would that, what would that sound like? It's intriguing to think. I think one thing that I think he could say is that you are a church that loves authentically. So thank you for that love to me and my family. You love authentically, you love well, and you serve well. And that is to be commended. But that is a church that loves, that comes from a church that loves the Lord and that loves his word. Um, there's no other way to explain that authenticity except from those who genuinely are saved and genuinely have a passion for the things of the Lord. And so I commend you and want to encourage you with that. And so last week as we talked about faith, I, um, I had a, a hard time knowing, all right, what do, I, what do I talk about? Even last week as I was preparing, I said, Lord, give me your words, give me your message. What do I preach about? Um, just there's so many things that I've seen from the Lord in a new way in the last 16 months. And I went to visit my daughter's grave, and as I was there, I just spent time praying. I said, Lord, what would you have for me? And I left, and he said, faith and hope. And so today we have the second of that. We have hope of the believer. And so, um, as you look at faith, uh, faith is empowered, is given by the Lord, and, um, you know, I said last week, you know, hope rests in, or faith rests in the Lord because of what the Lord has accomplished and what he has given us through faith. And today, as we hope, as we look at hope, we consider hope trust in the Lord. I don't think you can have, well, you can't have a believer with faith who doesn't have hope. That's like a fish trying to survive in the desert. It is not possible. Because of faith, um, hope is a companion of faith. They, they come hand in hand. Um, faith is grounded in the reality of the past, but hope is grounded in the reality of the future. Faith apprehends what Christ accomplished on the cross and says, yes, I trust that, I believe that, I am assured of that. But hope, hope looks forward to the future certainty, the future guarantee, the future promise that the Lord gives. So as we read this morning, 
in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, we'll go back for context a couple verses, but um, I like one thing that Paul addresses in his introduction to, the, um, to Titus, in his letter to Titus in chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. I love he makes that, that connection. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and in hope of eternal life. And so he puts those hand in hand. Faith and hope come together. Um, and they are rooted and grounded in God, who never lies, um, in what he promised before the ages began. And so isn't that theme that we turn to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4? And I'm going to actually go back again and read verses 13 through 15, because as, he, as we read in, in 16, he says, so we do not lose heart. And so, so, he's kind of insinuates, he is continuing a thought from previous verses. And so let's go back to verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so what we'll focus on here is hope is grounded in Christ. Um, but we'll see as, as hope trusts in the Lord, first we see that trust in the Lord for salvation. What Christ accomplished can be seen here. He says, so we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. And here's where the power comes in, in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him, with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. And so hope is grounded in Christ. He trusts the Lord for salvation. But how does he trust the Lord for the salvation? Well, we see it here. The, the power that Jesus has, what is that power? It says he he raised Jesus, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And so the power that God had is not limited by death. And so he's saying, because Christ was raised from the dead, we are united with Christ. We also have that power in us, and in the power of, of the God of God can be seen in, in believers through salvation. Victory begins not in heaven. For the believer, victory begins at the time of salvation, but ultimately it begins in the grave because Christ first had to experience death in order to overcome it. And so Christ experienced death in the grave, but he overcame that by the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so Christ is, is victorious. Christ conquers death. And this is a power that he's seen, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There should be an exclamation at the end of that point in today's verbiage. Um, that's an exclamation point. That's a great power. That power doesn't just rest. That power is, is continual, but that, that power is a victorious power that cannot, be, um, that cannot be overcome by the worst thing that this life has to offer, and that is death. And so the, the resurrection, it's interesting, that's the one thing that sets Christianity apart, really, from any other religion. If you, if, you consider, um, if you consider Mormonism, you know, he had, they had a prophet. Um, if you consider Islam, Muhammad. If you consider Hinduism, there's a lot of deities. Buddhism, there's a lot of deities. Um, atheistic, there's a lot of deity of self. 
self-reigns. Um, but none of those deities or beliefs or, or prophets, none of them overcame death. The resurrection is the one thing that sets, the, the, that sets Christianity and our faith apart from any other religion. And so the elements of the gospel, you know, he's, he's committed to, Paul is committed to preaching the gospel. And we'll talk in a few minutes about uh, what that has done in his life. He went from the biggest persecutor to being the biggest proclaimer of the gospel. Well, what compelled him to do that? That was the victorious power of the Lord, of the work in his heart and in his life. And so what is the gospel? If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I'll just read it real quick. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And after that, it says that he, was, um, that he appeared to others as, as proof. They were witnesses to his resurrection, to the, law, to the life. And so that's the gospel that Paul was committed to preaching. If we look at, I will turn there this time, at 1 Corinthians 15, going back to chapter 15, in verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first root of those who have fallen asleep. And so I like MacArthur points out a couple of things about this, this passage, and we won't go into all of this in, in great depth, but he, just in brief summary, he says, without the resurrection, there's six things that we see here. First, preaching Christ would be useless. If, you, if the resurrection is, is what the gospel is, why proclaim the gospel? But, you know, so that preaching Christ would be senseless. Faith in Christ would be useless. It's a God who didn't have victory over death. So faith would be useless. Witnesses and preachers of the resurrection are liars. What you're preaching, that, that Christ raised from the dead, wouldn't be true, and so you would be, you would be liars. No one would be deemed, redeemed from sin. There's nobody who overcame Sin and death, you know, sin is the penalty of death. Well, death is the penalty of sin. And so there was nobody who overcame if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead. So no one would be redeemed from sin. All former believers would have perished. And Christians would be the most pitied people on earth. If you know a believer, I know I love Pastor Mark talks about when uh, he was there with his father at the end of his life, and his father had incredible peace. Why did he have peace? Surpasses all understanding because it's peace rooted in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he brings. He was not pitied. 
He was loved and he was, he was faithful and he trusted the Lord. He had a peace. And so without the resurrection, we see uh, the impact of that. But the believer, because the resurrection did happen, the resurrection sets the, sets the believer apart, is the mark of our, of our faith. The believer knows the power of God. And so salvation provides unity with Christ. We're united with Christ in his death, and we're united with Christ in his resurrection. And we see that illustrated through baptism. Buried with him in his death, but raised to walk in newness of life. That's baptism. And so the believer knows the power of God in salvation and the unity that that brings. Um, and also, in salvation, they will experience the presence of God. And that presence we can see now through the indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit gives, gives life to the believer. The Spirit empowers the believer. And then ultimately, that presence of God will be seen for eternity. When you get to, you get to be in the physical presence of the Lord for eternity in heaven. Romans 8, 10 and 11 speak to this. They say, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is talking about that power over, over death that we have from Christ. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And so our lives are brought, um, our deadness is brought to life through, through the hope of Christ. And so hope is grounded, um, salvation is grounded in the Lord. But also the believer shares in the power of God. That's, for me, that, that brings incredible comfort, just knowing that, that the God who is victorious over death, um, I have the same power of God living in me and giving me victory in my life. And we see in verse 14, going back to 2 Corinthians 4, we see in verse 14, that what's the purpose? And that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving and this is a big reason why, to the glory of God. And so it is that glory, that desire for the believer to give the Lord glory, that hope also provides endurance to the believer. And we see that in how the believer is steadfast through trials. So despite earthly circumstances and weakness, and we see that in, in verses 16 and 17, it says, so we do not lose heart, as we just read, why don't we lose heart? Because of the power of God in salvation. The power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So our, our outer selves we see wasting away in this world. Does anybody in this room feel like over time their bodies just get better and better and better? More energy, things don't hurt the longer you live. No, our bodies degenerate over time. Um, and so that's, that's an impact of, of sin. Um, but he's saying here, though our outer self is wasting away, 
Our bodies are corrupt, sinful beings. We know sin experientially, and with that becomes, comes death. And so our, our bodies are, are living towards death, a physical death. And so our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. The believer is, in, is despite the hardness of life, our corrupt bodies decaying, slowing down, things becoming more difficult. The inner self is doing the opposite. What's the inner self doing? The inner self is growing, is maturing in Christ-likeness, in passion to, to serve the Lord, in obedience to serve the Lord. And so Paul, of all people, he knew trial. He knew in extreme circumstances. Um, if we look at his suffering, let's, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go back a few chapters. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 through 28, give us a glimpse into some of the suffering that, that Paul knew. So 11, verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman, with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. The forty lashes, they say at forty, you should die at that point. So they're saying, we're not going to bring you to death, but we'll bring you close enough where you'll want them. You wish you were there. And so 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Danger wherever he turns is what he's saying. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there are the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. So he has all this, this physical anxiety, but he also has the, the burden, the internal burden, the anxiety to serve the churches and to see them grow. He felt responsibility to see them grow in their faith. And so if you look at his life, Paul knew suffering. He knew trial. He knew hardship. And he knew the weaknesses of the body. He was pushed to the point of near death numerous times. And so he knew the weaknesses and some of the limitations of the body. Yet he had recognized that enduring through human weakness showed the Lord's strength. So our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed. But we see, um, despite our human weakness, God shows up. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And this is the man we just read about. The message that said, I was pushed, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was flogged. I was starved. I had many sleepless nights. I didn't know where I was going or where I would spend the night frequently. But I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, 
with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. I am astonished at the faith of Paul. When the face of adversity could say, God, when I am weak, you are strong. You are seen, the endurance of Christ is seen during our trials, during our tribulations. And he says, he recognized that when I am weak, I am strong because you are strong. And he knew that through those trials that the Lord's strength would be magnified. So it's pretty evident. You look at a guy like that, you're like, how does he persevere? You ever see somebody and you see them go through the worst things in life? It's like, how do they keep pressing on? That guy just cannot be beaten. He just cannot be stopped. He cannot um, be just taken off his course. But it's those who have a certain hope and a certainty um, and an unwavering commitment that endure and that persist. And so I love Paul in, in the model of faith that he sets. In Hebrews 10.23, says, Let us hold fast. You know, we see this here in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Let us hold fast. So we do not lose, lose heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And this is how it's possible. From Hebrews 10.23, For he who promised is faithful. Holding fast is not based on our commitment. Who made the promise? This is right here. Who made the promise? God made the promise. He who promised, who promised that we would be forgiven, let those who turn and put their, their hope and their trust in Christ, that they would be forgiven, that they will have an inheritance, that they will receive an eternal blessing through Christ, that he who promised these things is faithful. That is an incredible message. That has incredible power that the believer holds in their heart if they believe this, if they trust this, if they know this. And so Paul's enduring gave him confidence because as he suffered, kind of what we talked about last week a little bit, as he suffered, he, his strength um, was just strengthened by the Lord. You know, when you, uh, when you go through suffering, when you go through trials, and you come out victorious on the other side, it encourages you and it challenges you, but also lets you know that I can trust the one who, who helped me endure through that. And so you become even more trusting of the Lord because you've seen how he carries you. And so that's what, that's what we see in Paul here as, as a great living example of that. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And so it's that same power that gave Christ victory over death was the power that Paul put his trust in and the power that we need to put our trust in. So hope, trust for endurance, we see that through in steadfastness through trials. We also see it in sanctification. The believer is made new in Christ at the time of salvation. We read about this in Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24. It says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the, the believer is made new because of what Christ has accomplished through salvation. It's not just a fresh coat of paint on, on an old tomb. It is, it, is, it is new. He doesn't just um, revive the old. He gives us a new life in Christ. Amen. Praise God for that. And then we also see the sanctification that the believer is maturing and growing. 
We talked about this a little bit already. But John uh, 17 reminds us in verses 15 through 19. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus speaking. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus Christ, he sanctifies those who are in truth, who are believers in the Lord. And so the, the believer is maturing and growing, being sanctified or purified, as some like to say, versus sanctified, purified in the Lord. So hope, trust for endurance, and through that is in steadfastness, it is in sanctification, and it is in assurance of true hope as well. Going back to Romans 8, I'm all over the place. That's the beauty of scripture is it just validates itself. I know I'm all over the place. I like to do this. Um, but in Romans 8, um, I don't, besides, we have to get a Romans reference in on Sunday. So I've got to d- make Mark proud. Um, but Romans 8, 47 through 49 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What assurance that gives for those who have their hope and in, in faith in Christ. He says, so we do not lose heart, even though we're going through, you know, if it's Paul, it's, if it's the then it's extreme suffering persecution that he had, Whatever is in, in, in your life, whatever suffering you're going through, whatever hardship, whatever loss, whatever health issues, whatever you may be facing today. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us. None of these things, none of these hardships, none of these trials can separate us from the love of Christ. And so we have an assurance of true hope in him. And ultimately, the believer wants to endure for the glory of God. This is probably the most challenging part of hope when endurance isn't for my glory, it's not for my profit, it is not for my gain, it's for my edification, it's for my sanctification, but ultimately that is there to glorify God. And so hope trusts for eternity. Hope trusts for eternity. It focuses not on the here and now, but it focuses on the eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. Going back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So this, this affliction, he's saying this light momentary affliction. This is Paul. This light momentary affliction. Do you consider any of that what we talked about earlier light? Momentary, yes, but is it light? No. But he says, in light of eternity, now versus then, it is light. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. If you were to put it on the scales, this is now, this is future. This is how it's going to tip every single time for the believer who trusts God. The weight and the glory of the internal inheritance far outweighs what we're going through. 
It's not the visible, not the things we can see, not the things we can put our, our faith in, we can put our trust in. We had the example of the chair last week. I didn't see anybody inspect a chair when they came in. You just put your faith in the chair that it would hold you up when you sat down. That's something tangible, something you can see. That's not what um, hope boasts in. It boasts in something that cannot be seen. And not in the visible, and we see this again in Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. It's not hard to hope. In, you don't, it's here. You don't have to hope for it. It's here if you have something. So he's, it's like if you see it, it's not hope at all. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is an incredible motivator. I think probably the two most powerful things in the world are fear and hope. You look at a lot of dictators, they rule out of what? Out of fear. But they don't want the people to have hope. Because you know that people with hope are going to do things a little differently and they can't control them. But the believer, his hope, he's not going to be controlled by this world. He's going to be controlled by um, the eternal inheritance and the commitment that he has to Christ. And so we wait for it with patience. So eternity, eternal glory with the Lord. We see that in Colossians 1.27. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the eternal inheritance. The future promise is more valuable than the present or the temporal. So not just focus on the internal inheritance, um, but we also have an internal deliverance. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, actually, let's go back there. 2 Corinthians one. Nine. Actually, we'll go back to verse 8. And this is Paul. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. So he's talking about as they were going through their, um, through their journeys. Um, indeed, he says, We felt we had received the sentence of death. Whatever, the extreme persecution that they were going through, he thought the only way out of that, the only way to be delivered was to leave this life. He thought that would, that's how bad it was. He thought that would be the best way out of it, that they would be relieved from it. He said he felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's how strong it was in his mind. He's like, it's, it's so strong. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. So he's saying he's delivered us in the past. He will continue to deliver us in the future. But ultimately, he will deliver us from the penalty of sin, from the death of sin. That's the hope that he, he has. And that's what, how he's enduring because he knows that, that God delivers his people. And he's looking forward to the future deliverance. That he will deliver us again. Whether it's on this earth, if it's not on this earth... If he doesn't deliver him from his circumstances, Paul knew that he would be delivered from the judgment of God because of his faith. So hope, trust for eternity, um, folks on the internal, eternal inheritance, also bears eternal fruit in a temporal world. Confidence in the Lord is a great reward. I love Hebrews, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
for the believer, and that's 1035 and 36, just for reference, for the believer, that great reward is that when you have done the will of God, when you have endured, there's something waiting for you at the end, that you will receive the inheritance, you will receive the promise of life, of hope, of eternity with him. And so there's a great reward in heaven, but that is seen here in, in the confidence of the believer and seen in the trust of the believer in a godly purpose. And if, in this verse here in, in 2 Corinthians 1, and this has been incredibly hard for me to understand and even trust. It's definitely challenged my theology when he says in the second half of 2 Corinthians 1.9, that hardship, that trial, as extreme as it was, he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. That's hard to be able to say that. To say, like, despite this, despite the worst, whatever in your mind or in your life is the worst, despite the worst, he, and he recognizes that is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. God has challenged me with that, but he's shown me in a new way that despite my worst, my worst loss, the loss of, of my daughter, despite that, which is, I think, is any one of, one of any parent's worst in their mind, despite that, it helps us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And that is the God because we have, we understand, we recognize as a believer that we have a godly purpose. Our trials, our suffering, enduring through that glorifies the Almighty. That even when we are weak, that he is strong. Even through our trials, through our tribulations, that we can still say to a world that is lost and dark and knows no hope, does not have faith, a believer that can say, I still trust in God. God's purpose is, he tells us, my ways are not your ways. <laughs> if our ways were our ways, this world would be totally different. I forget what movie it was. It's probably not the best movie. I think it's a Jim Carrey movie. And he wanted to bring the sun closer, or sorry, bring the moon closer, and he like lassos it with, uh, with a rope, and he's able to bring the moon closer, but he doesn't realize all the collateral damage of what that would do. And it, the oceans are going crazy, and just everything's out of balance. If we want what we want, everything is out of balance. We've got to trust the Lord. My ways are going to be very destructive. My ways are destructive. But the believer trusts, all right, God, I know this isn't my way. This is your way. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are, are not my ways. But your purposes will endure, and you will work even when it's not the way I want you to work. But also the, the fruit that the believer sees in this temporal world is the proclamation of the gospel. The believer can endure. The hope pr propels them to proclaim a message that is foreign to, it, to a world that doesn't want to hear it. I love 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 15. Say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
And I love this part here. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The believer has a reason for the hope that is in them, but also prepared to share that reason. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. You know what it also insinuates? The believer's life looks different than the world. They see somebody suffering at peace, and at peace it just, it's hard to understand how that's possible. So I want to encourage you, as, as you have the opportunity, you see God show up in your life, take the opportunity to proclaim a God who loves, a God who serves, a God who gives, gives strength and who gives faith, but also a God who gives hope. There's not much to hope in in this world. If, if you really boil it down, there's really not much to hope in in this world. But the believer has more than anything to hope in, and that is their faith and their hope in Christ. And finally, hope rests in the Lord. You know, Jesus says, take, you know, take my, my yoke, take my, my burden, you know, for my burden is easy, my, but he says, those who, um, I'm not finding the verse, help me, it's in Matthew, but um, those who put their rest, who put their hope in the Lord will find rest for their souls. Somebody sent, just God's time is incredible this morning. A friend of mine uh, sent the background to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And he just, incredibly encouraging. He and his wife stood by us and have been the best friends we could ask for. But um, do you know the background of that song? It was, I forget, I forget the guy's name now, but the guy who wrote it, he, um, he had some investments in Chicago. And during the Great Chicago Fire in the 1800s, a lot of what he he had was lost, but also his four-year-old son was lost in one of the fires. But he was going, um, he planned to travel with D.L. Moody in the UK, and so he was going to go over there and travel with them, but he had some business to take care of because of the fires. And so he sent his family ahead of him, and then he received word that on the way, their ship was, it was collided with another ship, and it was lost. And his four daughters perished in that shipwreck. And as he, he made his way, he took his journey, made the voyage across the Atlantic to be with his wife. The place where he, the shipwreck was, he penned the words to the song, it is well with my soul. And so that's a man that is at peace because of the hope that he had. Despite the circumstances of, of the, some of the greatest losses, probably more of a modern day Job than we realize, lost everything he had in Chicago, lost his family, Still had his wife, praise God, but he was able to pen the words of it as well with my soul. And I don't have the words in front of me. I should have brought them up, but um, I want to encourage you, if you want to find encouragement in somebody who lives out a faith that is full of hope despite hardship, look into that song. When peace like a river, and that's when it, when it starts with when peace like a river attends my soul. We have hope. We can endure through the loss. And so we see hope, trust in the Lord for salvation, for endurance, and for eternity. Please bow with me in prayer.